everybody. It's still morning, so good morning. morning. It's been an interesting week. Uh, uh, Let's see, last Sunday, of course, we had the services, and then we had the Capital Punishment movie, and a thousand people saw that movie in the church. It was amazing, and it was a 15-hour day for the staff, but I just thought it was a remarkable Sunday, so... And, and I, I was wiped out, and so, uh, you know, I like to take Mondays off, and, um, but I got a request to go and speak at an event Monday, and uh, I, I'm finding a problem saying no, but uh, wait, 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 don't show it yet. Did you already show it? Pause, hold. So this, this entire event you're about to see uh, was inspired because this little fellowship, this building itself hosted some frontline doctors. A number of our first responders, police, fire, nurses, doctors, witnessed that. And um, you, are, you are remarkable, all of you, because what you're doing is resonating across the country. And a handful of you got together and said, uh, we're going to stand in opposition. And from that one little you know, p- uh, pebble in the pond, uh, this was uh, at the City Hall in Los Angeles Monday. They asked me to come out and speak. Take a look at this crowd. It's phenomenal. 6,000 people came out. And it was a result of... I mean, that's City Hall. Uh, and, and then um, she sang the national anthem. And that's... They were all chanting USA, so I got into it. And that's why... Uh, this was all photographed by one of our elders, Brian Orta. He drove me out there because they said I needed security. And, uh, and I don't know why I brought Brian, but I, um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it was, it was an amazing crowd. And as I looked out, these are, now uh, we can stop. I just wanted to share with you this, that, you know, we lost 2,997 Americans uh, on 9-11. Um, 500 of them were police or fire. Um, they were running into the building when everyone was running out. We've now lost 19,000 Americans to this shot. This shot, so you, you calculate the VAERS, Vaccine Adverse Events uh, Reaction Site, it, run by the government, it takes four hours to fill out the paperwork if a doctor wants to submit it, and then you're put on notice, so most doctors don't want to do it, so it's underreported probably by 90%. So calculating vaccine deaths in America since 1990, just looking at the last 10 years, the, the lowest number was 132, highest number was 187 vaccine deaths. This vaccine, you... <laughs> I'm kidding, take him out. <laughs> I'm just kidding in a seriously joking way. All right, so this this vaccine, just so you know, you take all vaccine deaths since 1990, combine them, double them, all vaccine deaths of every vaccine, you you combine them since 1990 and and double it. It doesn't equal the number of deaths from this shot. We've lost 18,000 Americans and we're getting, and that's growing by 1,000 a week and it's underreported by 90%, let alone, that's just deaths. That's not hospitalizations, per- paralysis. I don't know if you know this, has anyone heard Celine Dion singing lately? She's struggling, she's having tremors, uncontrollable. Didn't see the governor for a few days. No. 
I'm not going there. You can clap all you want, but this is, this is, this is the body of Christ. And, uh, pray for your enemies. Do good to those who spitefully use you. Lord, heal him, but also wake him up to the stupidity of what he's trying to force on our children. And, 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 you know, you, you see uh, of the close to 3,000 Americans that died on 9-11, of about 500 of them were police and fire, actually over 500. And now you see 6,000 first responders gathering in their families. And, you know, uh, they're standing in defense of Americans across the country, and they're losing their jobs and standing in defense of your freedom. And that's why they still, to this day, in my heart, are my heroes. And I love them, and I'm proud of them, all of you. So that was Monday, and I thought, ah, I'll take a break. No, 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 got to go to uh, uh, Anaheim to meet with pastors to coordinate uh, an effort statewide and country. It was phenomenal. It was a think tank all day, and then uh, flew to Bakersfield, um, and, and got there and spoke at an event for Turning Point. And then Wednesday had a couple things and then took a red eye to uh, Tampa, Florida. Uh, I was there for less than 24 hours, came back. Um, I, I did some work there, uh, fulfilled a promise, did some Turning Point stuff, came back, officiated a memorial service for a delightful man, uh, Eric, and uh, the, the son of uh, Evie and Rick, and uh, sweet, sweet guy. And it was a well attended, he's, he's precious in the community. And then last night I went to, I was so tired, I went to the, the uh, Prager Gala or Gala uh, in Beverly Hills and I, I was so tired just getting there. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm just like, and then the people began to speak, I woke right up. Uh, it, was, it was a remarkable evening. Uh, so many people captivated my heart as I was wa- listening to truth and watching as Prager University is contending in this nation on behalf of its citizens. And uh, Dennis, uh, I walked up to Dennis and I go, uh, he goes, Rob, how are you? And, and uh, no, I took a picture. So this, this guy wanted to get a picture. His wife's taking the picture. And, uh, and I said, why don't you get in the picture? I'll take a picture of both of you. So he gets over there and I take the camera to help him. And Dennis goes, do you realize that the man taking your photograph is the finest pastor in all of Western civilization? So, so I take the picture, I give him the camera back, and uh, I go up to Dennis, and I go, Dennis, you're, you're, um, you're, you're my rabbi, I have two of them. He goes, who's your other one? I go, Jesus? <laughs> I had to slide that in there. He, he got it. I sat next to a, 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 an amazing man who uh, is working feverishly to stop uh, human trafficking. And one of the people he works with is uh, this young lady, you know me, Park. Oh, some of you know her, you know me, Park. And a lot of you don't, Uh, but you should. She escaped North Korea, uh, not because she wanted freedom. She didn't know what freedom was. She said, we we didn't, we thought the whole world was like this. we only left North Korea because we were starving and we went looking for food. We didn't know what freedom was. People say, well, why didn't you fight for freedom? That's not the narrative. You, you think there's a choice because you're raised in a nation that has that. They weren't. 
This, this isn't natural. You, you think that man's intrinsically good? You're confused. No, thank you. Man isn't intrinsically good. When left to our own devices, that's called North Korea. And she just leaves there not looking for freedom, but trying to find something to eat. They were starving to death. She gets into China where she's abruptly um, enslaved into the sex trafficking world at 13. Her mother tries to stave it off by offering herself and then she's put in the sex trade as well as, as uh, you know me. And then they escape by the help of Christians and she, she just said, I could pretend to be anything to survive. And so she said, I read the scriptures like they asked me to and I sang along with the songs like they asked me to. I, I would do anything to get somewhere where this wasn't happening to me. And they cross the Gobi Desert and get into Mongolia where they find missionaries that take them to South Korea. And um, her whole life changes. Now, she hasn't had a formal education to speak of. She educates herself. She's, she's bright, smart, ends up going to Columbia University. Now, I don't know if you know about Columbia University, and that's actually where Dennis Prager went to school. Um, Columbia University, as she goes to Columbia University, she starts listening to all the students talk about oppression. And she says, you're not oppressed. And I'll give you a perfect example of it. The fact that you can publicly declare you're oppressed, you're not oppressed. <laughs> this is a first world problem of selfish children who have been given too much, whose parents need to spank them. And she's sitting there listening to them talk about general neutral pronouns and, and, and she's baffled by it. And, and, and not, so that you don't offend anyone uh, with a different sexual orientation. And, and she, just, she just outright said it on Fox, News, uh, Fox Business News. They're brainwashing. And she said, Columbia University is worse than North Korea. Because here you have a choice and yet you are willingly submitting yourself to enslavement. And at Columbia University they had five, five graduations. Graduation for white people, graduation for black people, graduation for, eight, yeah. I, you know, I really thought we got over that. But apparently this is progressive, which is just racism. And she's looking at it saying, what's wrong with you people? You have freedom and you're giving it away. And you're allowing your children to be indoctrinated and brainwashed. And she was baffled by it. And I... I, I, was, uh, I was touched by her and listening to her speak. And, and I, I gave her my number. I said, I want you to come and speak at the church. She said, I love you. She's in uh, Chicago. So we'll figure out how to get her out here. Amazing young lady. Absolutely amazing. So, you know me, Park, keep her in prayer. Uh, she is fervent on these issues. You can follow her. Um, and that's where I, I, as I was sitting through listening to Dennis Prager speak, listening to Christopher Rufo uh, God had already put it on my heart, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, because I love this verse. I quote it often. You guys hear me do it. But it's now in the series this week of the Anchored Reading, which is our two-year study through the Scriptures. And typically, Pastor Rick takes New Testament. I've been doing some Old Testament. But I, I love the reading in Hebrews. And when, I, just, I just thought, the, this is critical that we cover these two verses of Hebrews chapter 4, because you hear me quote it all the time. And I want to give you an insight to it and help you understand it. The book of Hebrews 
was, we, we don't know who the author is, we strongly assume it was the Apostle Paul because of the writing style, but we also would think the reason why he put, wouldn't put his name to it is because he wrote this epistle to try to appeal to Jews to understand that Christ is the Messiah, but he didn't want them to know he wrote it because they didn't like him, but he had a heart for his people to come to know Christ as their Messiah, and so he wrote this. And it's a fascinating work, one of my favorite books of the Bible. And so we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. If you have a Bible, open it up to Hebrews chapter 4. It's in the New Testament. If you don't, God loves everyone to have a Bible. So we have them. And if you don't have a Bible, you can keep that Bible. And just raise your hand. They'll hand it to you. And it's in the New Testament. We say New Testament. That's because uh, this was written you know, after Christ walked the earth, 66 books of the Bible. The last book of the Old Testament is an Italian prophet named Malachi. And he, no, I'm kidding. It's Malachi. <laughs> and then there's a, a quiet period for a few hundred years, and then it begins with the Gospels. Gospel means good news. It's a four different accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, of Jesus' time on the earth. Then it goes into the book of Acts, which is Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Apostles, the beginning of the first church. Uh, and then it goes into Romans and First and Second Corinthians, and all these are epistles, and the word epistle means letter. These are letters that Paul wrote to the church, either in Rome or in Corinth. Um, and then there's others that wrote letters like um, Peter and, and the like. So, but the, the largest author uh, of the New Testament is, is not Paul, interestingly enough. He has the most works, but he doesn't have the largest volume of writing. Uh, the, the person who has the most writings in the New Testament is Luke. Luke was a physician. Uh, I don't know why I'm telling you that. It has nothing to do with today's study. So, um, <laughs> Hebrews chapter four, we're gonna take a look at one of my favorite passages. And um, uh, in context, the Lord is describing the significance of the word of God in relation to Christ. And, and he, he talks about uh, this word being so significant on the face of the earth and the necessity for it. And Jews would understand it and it would make sense to them. And so we're going to study these two verses. It's Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13. Please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. We stand for the word of the Lord. We sit for the word of the teacher. The word of God we honor. The word of the teacher we tolerate. I'll read out loud. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I want to read to you two more verses. Psalm 119, verse 160. Every child, by the time they were 13, Hebrew child would be required to memorize the entirety of Psalm 119. And it's also acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. Psalm 119, verse 160. The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. And then Jesus, in the book of John, he speaks, and it's recorded, 
The Lord says, I have given them your word, Father, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, set them apart, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. I love that passage. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is true. We thank you for your word, which is sharper than any two-edged sword that pierces even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so, Lord, please, by your word, which is true, which speaks life, brings the heavens into existence, and faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God, Lord, remind us, Lord, we know that we'll be judged, that we'll stand before you and give an accounting of our life, and there's no creature hidden from your sight. We're all naked and bare before your eyes, and we have to give an account of our life. But Lord, may it be that your word is true and our hearts have yielded that we would be in submission to you. God, you're the only one who knows what he's talking about. Lord, we've been self-deceived and we've been deceived by others. We've been indoctrinated. But Lord, you can keep us from manipulation and indoctrination because your word is true. And so Lord, help us, I pray. Set us free. That we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a seat. Relax. Not too much. I heard somebody just sigh really. Finally, the guy shut up. No, I'm kidding. Hebrews 4, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Two-edged sword means that both sides of the blade is, are sharpened. So when you cut, it doesn't just cut one side. It slices the other. You can slice to one side or slice to the other because both sides are sharp. And they're so sharp that they can pierce even to the division of the soul and the spirit. And I'll explain momentarily, but physically speaking, it's the joints and the marrow. And if you're ever quartering a chicken and you get to the joints or the bones, you got to really dig into that. You got the, yeah. Okay, so that's this this two-edged sword is so sharp that it, it it cuts through the bone and the marrow but it it equates this the joint and the marrow along the lines of the soul and the spirit a joint is only as strong as the marrow of the bone and in the marrow is where you have this fatty vascular tissue it's it's a uh, it, it's it's in the cavernous regions of the bone it's the, it's the inmost part. It's the, the part of, of great substance and strength and vitality. And it's, it's where the major cell production occurs, where, where blood is strengthened because blood is the life force in the human body. And that's the reason why blood must be shed for the remission of sins because when blood pours out, we die. And, and the wages of sin is death. And, and so the penalty is death. It's cosmic treason. We're the only creature in all of God's creation that's disobeyed him and, and, and we've been separated from him and he's the author of life and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't tolerate sin or rebellion and, and he gives us a way back. I can't die for you. My blood can't be poured out for you because mine's tainted with my own sin as yours is with yours. But Jesus, who was God, fully God, became fully man 
was tempted in all ways, yet was without sin. So when he died on the cross, he paid the capital punishment. He paid the penalty. And it's by his death on the cross that we can be forgiven and we receive it. It's by, it's by grace through faith we've been saved. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a grace gift. He offers it to you, but you must receive it. You believe in your heart, you confess with your tongue that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world for the remission of my sins and that his righteousness is put on my account. Not that, that I could earn it, but that he gave it. And I don't obey his law to be saved. I obey his law because I am saved and I'm grateful and I want to live by his precepts and his rules. What are his precepts and his rules? Psalm 119, which we earlier read, it's to teach these young Hebrew children God's ways, God's rules. God, it's, it's, it's what brings a, an abundant life. You say, ah, no, it doesn't. Ah, uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, you're an idiot. No, I, I mean that. I, I, I absolutely mean that. You are so ignorant that you've taken some, you know, cross-cultural religion class in your community college, some comparative religion class in your community college, and you're an expert on it now. And you're going to dismiss, you're going to dismiss the 66 books of the Bible as though they've been penned by man and that it's not a significant work, yet you look, and, and this is Vody Bauckham, and, and by the way, Dr. Vody Bachman, Bauckham, excuse me, he is the, he's the dean, the president of the Zambia Bible College, he's here in the States now, and, and when he would be teaching these black Africans in Zambia, these Zambians, these men and women, whose melanin content far exceeds my own, and he holds up a map of the world and he says, this is where wealth is concentrated. And he says, what do you discern from this observation? Well, it's in Western Europe, the United States. He says, the white man is superior. That's what you discern, yes, because that's where the wealth is, they're superior. He says, okay, let's overlay it with this map. And he puts up a map of the Protestant Reformation and where it occurred and where it traveled. And it's an epiphany, a light goes on. And they say, white man isn't superior. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not his physical makeup that makes him superior. It's, it's the ideas he's embraced. And we can do the same. No one's superior in this room. And no, nobody is less than anybody in this room. We've been created in the image of God. We're, we've been created equal, not, not in capacity, but certainly in dignity. Now, a lot of you are smarter than I am, but I'm still as precious to God as you are. I'm just as beloved by God as you are. I don't envy you. You need not envy me. And, and you may be you know, challenged and you may want something I have, but it's not so you can take it. It's so you can do the hard work to obtain it. I, I, I really like watching Patrick Mahomes play football. I wish I could do that. But I, I don't have the willingness to do what he does to get to where he is. It requires hard work. Anything good requires work. But then we don't want to work. We want someone to take care of us. You know what? I'll tell you, if you want equality and you want someone to take care of you, go to prison. It's a perfect experiment of socialism. 
You never have to worry about your meal. It's always there. Everybody has the same bed. It, Naomi was pointing out, I think that's how you say her name. She pointed out, you, you know me. She, she pointed out, she said, we were all equal in North Korea. We were all equally hungry. As Tim, the guy that works with her, who works with removing these women from being sexually trafficked, uh, sex slaves, he said, where they recruit are former socialist nations. And he said, the hotbed right now for slave trafficking is Venezuela. Used to be the fourth greatest nation in the Western Hemisphere. And now their people are starving. And 10 of the women came out, they were professionals. Two had been police officers. And they were told that they could get domestic uh, jobs in America as housekeepers. And they trusted these folks and gave their passports only to be drugged and awakened, enslaved in a prison in Haiti and, and naked, being trafficked. And as these guys came through disguised as people looking for sex slaves, they came through and one handed a note because they had been undercover officers in Venezuela. They knew these guys weren't, you know, partiers. They knew that they were trained and passed the note saying, please save us, which they did. There are more slaves on the planet today than in any other time in world history, now 60 million estimated. And we are abandoning Christianity. Only a third of the millennial folks even associate, more people associate with LGBTQ, Z, than they do with Christianity. That's really working well. And, and, and suicide rate in young males is the highest in history. And depression for females exploding. The way of the transgressor is hard. Life sure doesn't seem to be abundant. All those things we once appreciated are disappearing before our very eyes. How is that? We've abandoned the word of God. What, what, what's about, what's so, the word of God is living. And it's breathing. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides the thoughts and the intents of the heart, the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It's a discerner of your thoughts. Man's a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit. And sometimes this soul, which is our intellect, our ability to think, and the spirit of God, they seem to be convoluted. But it's amazing because man is driven by his bodily desires and he tells his mind what he's gonna do. I need drugs, I need food. And so your belly directs you. Your intellect says where to find food. But man was never intended to operate that way. It's the spirit of God dictating to the mind of man what his body is to do. And that's when you become a Christian, you become what is called a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit. Soma, psyche, pneuma, pneuma is the spirit, psyche is the intellect, the soul, and, and, and soma is the body. That's just this thing that is a shell that encases our soul and our spirit. You become a new creature in Christ when you're, when you're born of the spirit. God takes up residence in your life, and he... And the Bible says that your soul, your mind, it says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that all of a sudden you start to think and, and desire the things God desires because you start to realize, this is yours, you made it, this makes sense. The sun rises, the sun sets. There's order to it. The, 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 the firmament and the water's divided in the heavens and then in the seas and then the clouds come in and then they, they, they hit the Sierras and they drop the snow in the winter and then 
We come into the spring and the summer and the snows melt and it, and it brings water down into the valley where the crops grow. You're, you're brilliant. And then the water flows back out to the ocean and then it evaporates and comes in again on the clouds. It's like a cyclical, who does that? That's just, no, no, that's a cosmic accident. It just happened. And you're an idiot. There's no God. I've never seen him. There's order. There's design. It screams of a designer. Yeah, but I've never seen him. I don't believe he exists. Is this the same? You, you feel the same way about this building? You never met the builder of it, so they don't exist? Again, are you an idiot? And I'm, I'm serious. Why would you shelve your brain? Why would you do that and allow yourself to be enslaved by ignorance when it's obvious as the nose on your face is? Do you realize what kind of faith it requires to remove a creator and embrace this Nietzsche philosophy of oblivion that you have been some cosmic accident created out of nothing? Our entire food industry is based on the fact that a closed system doesn't allow any mold because you have to introduce life. They kill it, they seal it, and that's, that's how we make sure. You can't have life in a closed system. It has to be introduced. And you look around, your heart's beating, you're alive, and the clock's ticking. Who made time to exist and to end? Time needs to be there. That means there needs to be an end. There's an end for all of us. It's appointed once for a man to die. That clock's ticking. You'll stand before God. Whether you believe he exists or you don't, it doesn't matter. Gravity doesn't care if you believe in it or not. You die if you go off a cliff. Uh, I'm being a little hard on everybody. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Let's just keep going. God cuts to the marrow of it all. He discerns your thoughts and he knows when you're deceiving yourself. And his word brings clarity. The thoughts and the intents of the heart. The heart is deceitful above all else. It operates by feelings. It's amazing how you can use a little bit of scripture to manipulate. They, they would say in North Korea that God had a son, Jesus, but he had another son, Kim Jong-un or Il, whatever. You're like, oh. And you know why you do that? Because you don't read your Bible. They were able to get Castro in because they said the spirit of God descended on him when they let a white dove. I have a video of it. The white dove flew in the room and landed on him. He was trained to do it. They're like, oh, I really feel like that's, I feel that. God's word is true and it slices your emotions, your soul and your spirit. Your emotions can be deceived. The heart is deceitful above all else. And you go, you know, I just, I, I just really feel. I don't care how you feel. Two plus two is three. I just feel it. <laughs> My favorite was when I become a Christian and they say, oh, I, I'm so glad it works for you because that's your reality. Like I get to make up my own? You know, you, you were, this is the self-esteem era. I went through that one too. You know, you were born perfect. Oh, good. Then let's just call it a day. I don't want to do any school. Just give me an A. Mark an A on that. I, I, give me 
a job. You know, forget the job. Just give me the salary. I'm perfect. And I got a participation trophy. I got ninth place out of nine. Forget merit-based anything. Man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Oh, no, 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 no. That's what the Bible, it's outdated, says. Seems to work, i.e. Protestant Reformation, Western civilization, greatest accomplishments. And so we get to this place where the word of God is critical and, and it's true. And when, when you forget it, it's destructive. The word of God, the word of God brings order. Order to a family. Why, or husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents. It's the only commandment which comes at a promise that you'll live long on the earth. It's order, it's structure of family. Let's, let's deconstruct that because that's what the left does. I'm not talking about liberals. I like liberals. I'm talking about left, secular, secular progressive deconstruction. Let's just, let's just remove it and read. Let's just blow it up and rebuild it in some way we like better. And it's all about science. There's two genders. Oh, no. No. Science is. There's more than two. Is that the same science that the governor was studying? When he said it's science that we have to have a curfew from 10 to 6 for the virus because it has a wristwatch? That's science? That's not science, that's manipulation, that's indoctrination, that's a gimmick. You start to look at things through the eyes of the Lord, and you know what? God's word brings order, man brings chaos, confusion. What are your pronouns? At this point, I have no clue. What you, you're making them up as we're going along, it doesn't matter what I say, you're wrong. Put them in jail. It doesn't matter what I say, what I do, I, I am wrong. That's chaos. How do you govern in a world where there's that many genders and you go to jail for mispronouncing pronouns? Or using, I don't even, it's insane. And, and now, it's chaos. God's word, God's word, God's word brings order. If you, can't, if, if, if you can't believe that, you gotta just give it up. Because the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. The earth was chaotic. God creates the heavens and the earth, but there was chaos. And out of nothing, God created something. And this is how he did it. And the spirit of God was hovering over the chaos on the face of the waters. Verse three, then God said, his word. Yahior, Yahior, light be, light was. Boom, spoke it, bam. Living, breathing, brings order. Let there be light. God saw the light that it was good and divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So evening, morning, first day. He creates out of nothing something, and then the next six days, he doesn't create anything. He just brings order to what he created. God's about order and design. It brings life. He goes on to say, 
Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament above the waters which were above the firmament, which means clouds and the ocean. And it was so, and God called the firmament heaven. And so evening and morning were the second day, which is where you get the cyclical moving of water, brilliant order design. And God called the firmament heaven, evening, morning, second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and gathered together the waters. And he called the seas. God saw this was good. The only other thing he creates is man and woman. Pausing so that whatever it is you have concocted in your confusion and your chaos, you realize his word is very clear. He created the family. He is the author of marriage. He's the author of life. It's not a blob of tissue. It's a human being. His word says so. Everything else is chaos and death and destruction God's word brings order out of chaos. Man's word brings destruction, chaos, and confusion. God delivered three to five million Jews out of Egypt, 10 plagues, Passover, angel of death, vanquishing the Egyptian army in the Red Sea as he parted it. They left with the wealth of the Egyptians. He provided food every morning, water every time, clothes that didn't wear out, shoes that didn't wear out, all of these things. And he commanded they obey him in the wilderness. He proved himself to be God. He was a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day. He showed himself strong on their behalf. He even blew quail off course when they were whining because they wanted meat. And he gave it to them. And in the midst of all of this, they neglect him. And God had laid it out by his word, which brings order. And he said to them, behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you've not known, you're gonna be in trouble. Do this, you live and have life and life more abundant. Do this, and it's chaos. Trust me, I made it, I spoke it, my word is legit. I'm telling you, not because I am a, I'm a capricious, mean God, I love you. It's for your good. But they disobeyed him. And these three to five million Jews, only two of them ever entered into the promised land. They wandered in the desert for 40 years, never getting to enter the promised land because of that command, they didn't obey it. And here we are in Numbers 26, and it says, these are those who were numbered by Moses and Eleazar, the priest who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. But among these There was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron the priest when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of the Sinai. That entire generation died. They never got to enter the promised land except for Jacob and except for uh, uh, Joshua. And the reason why, excuse me, Aaron and Joshua, because they obeyed God. Caleb, excuse me. For the Lord had said of them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man of them except Caleb, the son of Jephua, and Joshua, the son of Nun. They got to go because they believed God and they took him at his word. And it boils down to this for all of us this day. You win or lose by the way you choose. 
and so do we as a nation. If you believe that man, that, that this is the most racist nation on the face of the earth, then you question why so many people want to get in. The most successful immigrants in America are Nigerians. There's 50 plus genders or 100 or I don't even know. It changes every day. Chaos. Confusion. You, you conquer racism by applying racism. Well, that's confusion. But we're standing idly by why, why our children are being fed that garbage. And now moms and dads across the country are awakening to the critical race theory. This was in a presidential debate in the last election. Moderator Chris Wallace asked President Trump, and I just pulled this out of the newspaper, why he directed federal agencies to end racial sensitivity training that addresses white privilege or critical race theory. And Trump answered, I ended it because it's racist. Participants were asked to do things that were absolutely insane, he explained. They were teaching people to hate our country. Nobody's doing that, Joe Biden said. He's wrong. Critical race theory. Now, this is insulting to some folks, and it, it, it hurts your feelings. But put on your brain. Don't walk out because your feelings have been hurt. I didn't, I didn't set out to hurt your feelings. I'm just, I want us to reason together. Are, you, is, is your, are your ideas so weak that you can't listen to something else? Critical race here is an academic discipline that holds that the United States is a nation founded on white supremacy and oppression and that these forces are still at the root of our society. Critical race theorists believe that American institutions such as a constitution and legal system preach freedom and equality, but are, don't, they don't preach that, but they're mere camouflage for naked racial domination. They believe that racism is a constant universal condition. It is, simply becomes more subtle, sophisticated, and insidious over the course of history. In simple terms, critical race theory reformulates the old Marxist dichotomy of oppressor and oppressed, replacing the class categories of bourgeoisie and proletariat with the identity categories of white and black. But the basic conclusion is the same. In order to liberate man, society must be fundamentally transformed through moral, economic, and political revolution. And it says all whites are racist. Critical race theorists argue explicitly that all white people are racist and perpetuate systems of white supremacy and systemic racism. This concept is deeply related to race essentialism. Whites, including small children, cannot escape from being racist. All white people are racist or complicit by virtue of benefiting from privileges that are not something they can voluntarily renounce. That's Barbara Applebaum, being white, being good. White identity is inherently racist. White people do not exist outside the system of white supremacy. That's Robin DiAngelo of white fragility. America's fundamentally racist nation, critical race theorists argue that America was founded on racism, slavery, and white supremacy and remains fundamentally racist nation to this day. That's Robin DiAngelo in her book, White Fragility. But I want to get to these. America is inherently a white country in character, in structure, in culture. Needless to say, black Americans create lives of their own, yet as a people they face boundaries and constrictions set by the white majority. America's version of apartheid, while lacking overt legal sanction, comes closest to the system even now being reformed in the land of its invention. That's Two Nations by Andrew Hacker. Active racial discrimination 
This is Ibrahim X. Kendi. Critical race theorists believe that the state must actively discriminate against racial groups that are deemed privileged, meaning whites and sometimes Asians. Critical race theorists support policies such as racial quotas, race-based benefits, and race-based redistribution of wealth. The only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. This is chaos. This is confusing, and this is what is being, oh, and you're going, oh, no, it's not being taught in our schools. Okay. Well, hang on. Critical race theorists believe that the First Amendment serves to advance the interests of white supremacy and systemic racism under the guise of freedom of speech. So they argue that the government should restrict freedom of speech that is racist or hateful. So take away your ability to speak. You're done. There goes the First Amendment. And when Miss Park survives North Korea and hears this being taught, she looks and says, you're going to give that up? Are you crazy? The American Marketplace of Ideas was founded with the idea of racial inferiority of non-whites as one of its chief commodities. And ever since the market opened, racism has remained its most active item in trade. That's words that wound. The DOA, Department of Anti-Racism, was proposed by Ibrahim Kendi. It would be empowered with disciplinary tools to wield over and against policymakers and public officials who do not voluntarily change their racist policies and ideas. So, you know, the Department of, of uh, Anti-Racism finds you to be racist, so you lose your business. And that's the government. <laughs> Critical race theory is in schools. Here we go. San Diego Public Schools accused white teachers of being colonizers on stolen Native American land and told them you are racist and you are upholding racist ideas, structures, and policies. And they recommended that the teachers undergo anti-racist therapy. I have links to every one of these. If you doubt me, come and see me. A Cupertino, California elementary school forced third graders to deconstruct their racial and sexual identities, then rank themselves according to their power and privilege. They separated the eight-year-old children into oppressors and oppressed. Oh, we're not done yet. The California Department of Education passed an ethnic studies curriculum that calls for the decolonization of American society and has students chant to the Aztec gods of human sacrifice. The solution, according to one author, is counter-genocide? Santa Clara County Office of Education denounced the United States as a parasitic system based on the invasion of white male settlers and encouraged teachers to cash in on kids' inherent empathy in order to recruit them into political activism. Oh, it's not just in the schools, it's in the government. The Treasury Department told employees that all white people are racist and that children become racist by three months old. Department of Education funded conference advocated for abolition of American institutions and told whites they must give up their wealth. The National Credit Union Administration told employees America was founded on white supremacy and the Department of Homeland Security told its white employees that they have been socialized into oppressor roles. It's in the schools, in the government? Oh, collect them all. But wait, there's more. It's in all the corporations. Walt Disney Corporation claimed that America was founded on systemic racism, encouraged employees to complete a white privilege checklist, 
and separated minorities into racially segregated affinity groups. Lockheed Martin, the nation's largest defense contractor, sent key executives on a mission to deconstruct their white male privilege and encourage them to atone for their white male privilege. Raytheon, the nation's second largest defense contractor, has launched a critical race theory program that encourages white employees to confront their privilege, reject the principles of equality, and defund the police. I did tell you that <laughs> Ms. Park graduated from Columbia University and they had five graduations. A graduation for the blacks, graduation for the whites, graduation for the Asians, graduation for... That's racism. And the answer to overcome racism is by racism? You know, God's word sets us free. We'll know the truth, the truth will set us free. His word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It declares that there's one race, the human race, and man would say that that's racist. There's different ethnicities, but there's one race. It's like the flowers on the field going over the grapevine. There's red ones and blue ones and purple ones, and they're beautiful in the tapestry, and none of them are fighting over who's better. Get over it. If you're racist, repent. But there's no systemic racism. This is America. This is why people want to come here. This is garbage, and we must stand in opposition with the truth of the word of God, which brings order. If you blame me for being so fired up, the reason why I'm so fired up is because I have been discipled and blessed. My mentor is here. I love this man. You get a chance to see him. I'm setting up while I'm doing it because that's what I do. He, uh, he's an eight-time congressman from the great state of Ohio. I never recently have been inviting him to speak because I don't want any of the new folks to realize that I have anything he says is something I've stolen from him. And I wanted you to think I was the guy responsible for all of it. This, is, this man is amazing. Um, nobody has seamlessly brought Christianity and the concept of economics and government affairs together to a point where as a minister I understood it and it changed my life. I love this man. He and his wife came to visit us. We were at the gala last night. I asked him to come speak. Please welcome Congressman Bob McEwen. I, I threw a curveball at him last night. I go, you're here. It's like, why would you not speak? And he goes, I just came to, li and I, I came to listen to my favorite preacher. And I That's thought, right. you got a problem. Uh, you didn't get out enough. But no, I, I, I love this man. And he did agree to share. He just didn't want to do the whole thing. And that's okay. I appreciate it. But come on. But you, you fully appreciate how blessed you are. The, uh, I use the example that I live in Appalachia. And my wife and I were at the grocery store. And we saw this little gal with her new little baby, and the baby looked so sickly, and she was feeding it in a bottle. She had some Kool-Aid and was putting some sugar in there to feed this little baby that was obviously in need of nourishment. And, and I think of that's physical, but as we want to learn spiritually, a lot of places that you go, you're getting fed this Kool-Aid stuff that does, doesn't use the word of God. And uh, that's why we enjoy being with Rob. My sister-in-law is in Nashville, and she watches all three sermons. She watches over and over. And he pastors many people around the country uh, because of what you've made possible. And I just want to thank you for doing that.
and for our church, uh, the blessing to all of us. You, you were there last night. You, you, you heard all, all the speeches. You, you heard Christopher Rufo. You know, you, you heard her speak. And what did you take away from it? Well, th- there's only two ideas. One is what I say, and that's what every little child in a high chair, I want it my way, and that's what Adam and Eve said to God in the garden, and all of us face it, we're going to do it our way, or we do it God's way. My father said to me one time, he said, Bob, you can go through and bang your head and, and do all these things, or you can listen to me and you can save some of them. He said, I, I didn't listen, and so I got lots of knocks and bangs. He said, but I'd like for you to avoid some of them if you could, but I know that you're a teenager and you're going to figure them out, but... Uh, if you would learn from that, and I, I observe that it's better to, to learn from others. So the Lord graciously sent his word. He gave a map. Now, if you and I want to go to Cincinnati, we can ask every Tom, Dick, and Harry around here, how do we get to Cincinnati? And we can do that hour after hour, day after day, of searching and finding ourselves and, and all, and, and this person run us all the way to Washington State. So I feel that it's there, and it's the, I'm sure it's that way, and, 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 and we just spend our time wandering around. Or we can get a map. <laughs> we just get the map, and we just go, go the way. And so God said, I'll give you a map. Just, just do with this. If you do this, righteousness exalteth the nation. Sin, what is sin? Sin is anything that separates us from God. Sin, when it's conceived, bringeth forth death. It'll destroy. And so when we decide to do it our way, we separate ourselves from God. And there are, so we began each session in school recognizing what's, what's God. So we're going to begin the day. We're going to pray. We're going to pledge allegiance to the flag for God and country and then family. See, first you, all, you have to have God as the standard, because there's only two standards, right? Only what you say and what I say or what he says. And if, if we follow what you and I say, we'll end up in Bangor, Maine instead of Cincinnati. So, so we're going to do what God says. Then country, even more than family, because if the country falls apart, then there, are, there is no protection for yeah, the family. Yeah, there's no protection for the family. And so uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin and all the others said, God country, family. So we've seen a direct effort to eliminate God, haven't been able to do that, replace our flag now with other kinds of flags, assuming, making attacks on that flag that represents the people of the United States who are committed to a cause. Like I say, there's no, there, there, there's no seal or there's no coat of arms on the American flag because it doesn't represent some some king or some monarch or some generation. It represents the people that came here and they became a unit. Uh, when at, the, at the Olympics, when they say, and now representing Denmark, you know what the person's gonna look like. Representing Ethiopia, representing China, representing Argentina, you have some sort of a sense. When they say, now on behalf of the United States, you have not a clue what that person's gonna look like. Why? Because America is not physical. America is spiritual. It's what you stand for and you believe in. And you and I can't become Japanese or Chinese, but anybody can become American. And so we have God as our standard. He then blesses our country and then develop our family. In the process of this competition, we eliminate God and there's no protection for the country, which we see our floundering going on. 
and the ramifications that does to the schools and to the families. So the only solution to it all is to go back to the map and go back to the truth, and, and truth overcomes error just because a whole, whole lot of people think something. That doesn't make it true. Truth overcomes the error, and that's why we're here to study God's word, which is the truth, and that's why I'm honored to be with you. Oh, bless you. I heard Breitbart say that polit politics is downstream from culture. Last night we heard Christopher Rufo say he didn't buy that. He, he says that, that politics is driving culture because it's now educating with critical race theory. But I, Michelle and I were driving back and my, con my comment to Michelle is, the church should be driving the culture, which would be driving politics. And then Aristotle said politics is the highest form of community or of society because it combines morality with sociability. It's how we live together. Where does it fit in your mindset? Is politics downstream from culture? Is the church upstream from culture? Or is the church adapted? Where does it all fit for you? Well, I, th I think the sequence that we had, that it, that it comes, comes from God. And, and um, just what you said about where the prosperity comes, it comes from following him and then that creates the culture in which we have environment. And so it's a spiritual back and forth, but you said something there that sparked something now has escaped my mind, but go ahead. Uh, well, well, I'll try to, well, I'm getting a little uh, absent-minded <laughs> too, but when, when Christopher Rufo said that he didn't think that, yeah. that politics yeah. was downstream from culture, I, I don't know his background, I don't know his re religious affiliation. I know he's from Sacramento, I know he is well-educated, uh, he's been in the movie industry and things of that sort. But because Christians abdicated their role in seeing themselves in the ecclesia, the public square, we've kind of ended up losing this constitutional republic in some capacity because we, we didn't realize this is what God always wanted us to participate in. And, and the church has now indoctrinated its congregants into thinking politics is dirty. And, and, and don't be involved. It, the foolishness of that. Uh, Dave Barton points out that the, the first time that a school board said a boy can go into a girl's bathroom because he feels like her, go into the locker room. Uh, that person that proposed that got 1,100 votes. Now, he didn't win by 1,100 votes. He got 1,100 votes in the school district, where we just were the day before yesterday, in, in the Fort Worth School District, 93,000 students, 800,000 population, one church, three blocks from the Board of Education, 35,000 members. So how do you accomplish this? It, you have to convince all of these people to walk away and let a handful of idiots uh, do this sort of thing. So we, we went around, uh, we, we went around the week before the special election in Georgia. And uh, we spoke to pastors at three times a day, morning, noon, and night. Brought a series of pastors in and, and committed believers and explained to them the importance of the election in Georgia because, because had we won just one of those seats, just one, all of this stuff would, would have been out the window. And so we explained it all to them, how simple it is and how you need to get involved and, and how small numbers matter and, and all that. So there was one of the pastors that helped set it up. He was from the Tidewater area of Virginia. And he listened to it all week long until finally he couldn't take it anymore. So we finished on Friday. On Saturday, he called four of his pastor friends. And they met for breakfast, and then he un unloaded on them all the things that he'd learned all week long. He said, we need to do something. And so they decided they were going to get involved in the Republican primary in the convention, become delegates to the Republican convention in Virginia. 
And so they said, all right, we're going to do that. We're going to get people in our church. And so they signed them up. And lo and behold, when it all came out, they discovered they had 26% of all the votes in the convention, these, these four pastors. They said, well, this is fun. And so everybody, all the people running for governor and, and lieutenant, they all started to come to see these folks because they had half the number of votes they needed to be the nominee. And so they began to interview them. Where do you stand about this? How do you stand on life? Where do you stand on that? And they, they couldn't find any attorney generals that they really trusted candidates. And so they found, they took one of their own and nominated him. So those were the three candidates who were then the nominees for governor, lieutenant governor, and attorney general in Virginia. Now they hadn't met each other, but these folks had interviewed them. So they all three knew the Lord well. And the, the candidate for governor who met his running mates on the phone in a conference call, he said, we're going to begin every conference that we have Every campaign meeting we have, we're going to begin with prayer. Let me lead in prayer. And so he led in prayer, and then each one of them. And, of course, we know what has happened in Virginia as they were able to, to make a tremendous change, to, to which the pastors came back and said, this is simple. He said, we've been trying to explain this to you. He said, <laughs> <laughs> said well, we're going to do a lot better next time. He said, well, good, let's just do it. In addition, uh, I remember Chad saying that seven churches got together and trained over 1,200 poll watchers that were in Fairfax County and in Virginia Beach, which stopped all the shenanigans. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So... So as, as, we ab as we abandon the public square and watch this implosion, now you get a guy like Gary Hamrick at Cornerstone Church in Leesburg, Virginia, who says, do you know Charlie Kirk? And, and, and we connect, and then he, Charlie speaks there, and then these folks in the Loudoun County School District from Cornerstone, Leesburg, Virginia, this church, they send a shockwave across the country contending with, with these school board members that, and, and to the point where the Department of Justice calls them domestic terrorists. I mean, they're winning. This, this, moms and dads are changing the country. Because truth overcomes error. Boom. Always, always remember. <laughs> the, only way, the only way North Korea can survive, it has to prevent people from being able to see or hear or, or tell things. And so they have to have all the things that you and I are discussing right now. The networks, I have relatives that are dumb. And they... Uh, <laughs> And, and, and when, you, when you discuss things with them, they don't know about the border. They don't know what's going on because they watch MSNBC and CNN. And, and you'll watch, they will not discuss any of the things going on. But they have to function in that environment. That's why they want to shut down the, the, the teachers and, and touch down the parents. Because truth overcomes error. And uh, if, uh, a, a quick example, I was with the editor of the, uh, Washington Times newspaper a few years ago, and, and the Washington Times at that point is much larger now, but it had a distribution smaller than the Cleveland Plain Dealer. And, and one of the other congressmen asked him, so why do they attack Washington Times so much? And he tried to explain it a little bit, and I didn't think he did so well. So I walked him to the car, and, and, I, and I, I said, Wesley, let me explain to you why they attacked the Washington Times. Because the Washington Times gives truth, and that is offensive to folks, case in point. Many of you may re remember that during the war in Iraq, George W. Bush had a 52 deck of cards in which he put the faces of all the heads of, of the Al-Qaeda on, on the deck of cards. These are the people that, are, that sought to destroy America. And so uh, one day I, I was listening to the news and it said that George Bush said that uh, Al-Qaeda is no longer a threat. And I thought, well, that's really a strange thing to say. And so I heard it on the news every hour on the hour. It was a lead story in all three networks that night on how 
and they had developed the foreign minister from France, and he was saying, I don't know why the president would say that. Al-Qaeda is a threat. But one newspaper, one little news, one, the Washington Times, the next morning, put a block on the front page of the paper, and it said this. It showed where George Bush had finished a press conference in the Rose Garden, and as he's turning around to go back into the Oval Office, a reporter shouted at him, how is your deck of cards coming? To which he stopped, and he turned, and he said, well, 42 of them are either dead or incarcerated. Either way, they are no longer a threat. And so the, what the Washington Times did, it had the New York Times report. George Bush says, the leaders of Al-Qaeda, dot, 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 no longer a threat. And then the Washington Times put the entire quote in there, which said, of the leaders of Al-Qaeda, 42 of them are incarcerated or dead. Either way, they are no longer a threat. And it had it in bold so you could see exactly what it had done. Well, uh, Rush Limbaugh felt obligated to talk about that for about three hours. And then, <laughs> and then, and, and then the Fox News put it on a loop. And just that one news, now they had Reuters, and they had AP, and they had ABC and NBC, and all the rest. But truth overcomes error. And so we have truth. And that's why Paul said, do not get weary in well-doing. My brother, he had an excuse to feel that way, I would think. You know, the Lord says, go to this town. He goes to the town, they beat up to a pulp, leave for dead. You and I would say, Lord, are you sure you had the right address here? I mean, <laughs> am I not doing what you told me to do? Well, we, God, the one thing the Lord does not tolerate, one thing that God does not tolerate in scriptures is he does not tolerate being questioned. You don't dare question him. And he knew exactly what he was doing. He put Paul in prison. Scripture says that Paul planted, Apollos watered, but the Lord gave the increase. You and I cannot take a single thing that Apollos ever said or did. Now, if Apollos was just as active as Paul was, why do we not know who, what Apollos did? Because Apollos didn't write. And why did Paul write to the, to the, the Corinthians and, and to the Thessalonians and to the Philippians and to the Galatians? Why? Because God put him in jail. And when he's in jail, so that he wrote, so you and I could have it. So God knew what he was doing. And it's important for us not, not to question, just to do what he called us to do. Now, he has called us to do something faithfully. And in the process of this, don't get weary in well-doing, because we're, it's all downhill from here. We, we get frustrated about how bad this is. This is the best place on the planet. People crawl over cut glass barbed wire, floating leaky boats to get here to be discriminated against. It's so terrible. So we, we, need, we need to preserve it. You want to tell the Churchill story? That you did last time? All right, time in. I'm going to ask you to just share one last thing on your heart, and then we're going to, like you did last service, leave us in the doxology as we close. At least I had warning this time, but last time. Yeah, very good. That's how we fly here. So it's important to just analyze things. That's right. George, or... Winston Churchill was asked one time by a fellow, he said, how do I, I'd like to serve in government, how do I do that? He said, study history, study history, study history, for in it you will find all of the secrets of statecraft. And once you begin to see it, I mean, there are people in this room that lived through the Carter years, and you know that this is exactly what he did. 
He told us we were running out of natural gas. And I was in the state legislature. We cut off all natural gas to anybody except grandma. All the businesses. Ohio had 3,700 acres under glass where we had vegetables and, 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 and uh, flowers and things. We, we didn't allow those generations companies to even take three weeks to convert to oil or something else because we were running out of natural gas next Tuesday a week. It was an emergency. And so they froze them out. They lost everything. They never went back into business. And of course, we had the gas lines and all. This, this is the way they function. Now, you, a new generation, you, you got a new one, and he's doing the same thing, and inflation's coming, interest rates are coming, interest is always higher than inflation, so you get inflation, then you're going to get the interest rates. If you study history, you can see how this works. When our country was founded, poor old George Washington didn't have a whole lot of history example. He just had what was right. Now, to sell that to some folks would have really been a challenge. So let's take on the strongest nation on earth. Now, I don't have a country and I don't have any way to pay you but this is a really good idea and we need to work at this and, and a third of the people were trying to surrender now that takes leadership and commitment and patriotism and throughout history there's been times when a country was was at, at risk and in, in, in the Civil War there were times where just one decision could have cost us the country would have been divided north and south ever since the only country survived because of people made that commitment in World War II, we weren't prepared for war, but there, we, we prepared for three years, and then we went and we, we landed at D-Day at, at uh, uh, Normandy. Normandy. And then as we marched across, if you wanted to focus on, isn't this terrible? People are dying every day. We're, we can't get tires. We can't have a sugar. Uh, the, the fathers are dying, and the men are gone. The women are having to go to work. There's nobody to care for. The, we could have focused on how horrible it was, or you could say, look... We are a fourth of the way to Berlin after three months. We're a third of the way to Berlin, right? Now we're, a we're in the battle. That's where we are now. We're involved in a battle. And this is important that we keep our eyes on the goal. We, we're not trying to sell something like Washington was, was just an idea. We can look over our shoulder and say, this is the best system in the history of mankind. And these yahoots are coming in here. Trying. So, and so... It's, it's important for us to not become weary in well-doing, to focus on the goal, to stand together, and then truth overcomes. We have truth on our side. I would not want the mission of trying to teach 14-year-old boys to not like girls. That would be, a, that would be something that would be beyond my capacity to do. These folks, tr they're trying to do it. They have error on their side. We have truth on it. We, we can win this. Yeah, man. That's a good word. Why don't you, let's, let's sing the doxology. I'll pray first and then you, you close with it. All right, let's do this. If you would, would you all stand with me? And Lord, we thank you for this day and the great blessing of your word, which is true. And it is living and it is breathing, it breathe, living and breathing. And Lord, it is sharp. And it does divide our thoughts and our intents and the soul and the spirit. And Lord, everything is laid bare before your eyes and we're accountable to you. And so God, we want to do your bidding, we want to honor you. We know that faith comes from hearing, hearing from your word. We want to apply it and be obedient to it. And then comes life and life more abundant and freedom. And so Lord, please awaken us to this, that we would once again return and awaken to your truths and there'd be a revival in the land. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.